my friends, the great experiment. Have you begun? Hit it. Drink, drink. Would you look at that? The greatest drink, drink. Did you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star drink, drink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Well, we're into the second episode of Star Trek Picard. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you saying it like that? I don't know. You sound like Ben of mid-season two Picard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. This is not the same feeling at all. It's not. It's not. I don't know. Are you tired? I'm shredded, man. We just, I mean, as we're recording this, just got back from Sketchfest. It was great. We uh, finally ended our double dumbass tour. Yeah, it was big fun. To a sold out crowd in San Francisco, which was just an absolute dream. Yeah. That was Thursday. Yeah. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights, we were just partying and socializing. Until yeah. very late. You were up much later than I was. You were pulling 2 a.m.ers and 3 a.m.ers all weekend. and It was Vegas Adam in San Francisco. I'll say that much. It was something to behold. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> my wife and I parked our baby over at my folks' house. Grandma and Grandpa watched Darone for three nights. Wow. So that we could enjoy a little bit of uh, hotel time. And we barely really even... Like, did anything. <laughs> we were, like, going to bed at 10 p.m. You know what, though? <laughs> Just having some time away from Daron, as as great as Daron is, as much as you love Daron, you know, a little adult time for yourself, even if that adult time is sleeping and watching TV, like, yeah. that had to feel great. It was that kind of adult time, yeah. to be clear. <laughs> it, it wasn't three straight nights of clumsy attempts at lovemaking. You didn't have the, the fuck candle. Is what you didn't have going for you, Ben. We didn't have the ghost fucker candle. Yeah. And that was the mistake that I hope fewer and fewer people are making. You're not going to get loving going without a ghost fucker candle. It'll bring the ghost. Clearly. We got <laughs> we got a very funny, angry tweet about the ghost fucker candle ad. I saw that. Being full of swears. <laughs> I wouldn't have seen it, but... Uh, But Bill Tilly shared it with us. Bill dropped that (laughs) dead mouse on our doorstep. (laughs) And we were both totally incredulous about it. Like, Like, have you heard the show? The whole show is full of swears. The show is nothing but swears. It's amazing when we don't have mostly swears. I was thinking about this, Ben. Do you think there is a market for a swear-free version of our show? Oh, like a... Like a family-friendly edit, or yeah, like could all of the episodes be remastered into a separate RSS feed that instead of <laughs> instead of our swears is like family-friendly versions of the swear words, like <laughs> like oh, like the dubs of old movies, like, yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, like like instead of dick and fart, it's a uh, hog and. Fart. A toot. <laughs> <laughs> what you're proposing is that there's like the parental advisor explicit lyrics yes. sticker on the main line, but then we release There's the a... Al Gore's wife version, which is this. And then there's uh, a... <laughs> 
Al Gore's wife as a young parent. Right. Wanting to listen to podcast versions, which yeah. is uh, the other one. I think that just editing out the swears would not make our show appropriate for children. It would take a much more concerted effort at editing to, to make it safe. I would like to hear this experiment. Let, let's uh, <laughs> let's run this experiment on an episode. Oh yeah. Maybe we bonus feed an ep where all the swears are are turned into something else. Like let's give Wendy a couple of curse word substitutions. You want to try that? <laughs> She's just gonna send us like a five minute MP3, and we're gonna be like, "Why was the file so small? I haven't started QAing yet." She's like, "I literally had to cut almost all of it out." All right, let's let's give her some words for for dicks, okay? Okay. All right, I'll I'll start. Okay. Wiener. Dongus. Wang. Crank. Hog. Flopper. Big hog. <laughs> Tallywhacker. <laughs> All right, that's good. And what's another thing we usually say say a lot that a kid shouldn't hear? Come, I think we say a lot. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, what are some words for that? That isn't like uh, something that a little kid would put together. Like, right. how about Elmer's glue, <laughs> chowder, <laughs> Manhattan chowder, <laughs> whale come. <laughs> you did it wrong. Oh fuck! <laughs> I thought maybe because it was from an animal, it was like not as offensive. <laughs> All right, maybe we've got uh, enough there to work with for an experimental clip. No way. And maybe not, mm. but it's got me thinking about how we can serve the larger Friends of DeSoto community in a way that uh, that makes it easier for them. Because while I am inclined to ignore a message like this, the why do you swear so much on the show aspect, Right. Uh, I like our show enough that I want it to be heard by more and more people. Yeah. And maybe this would be a funny way to do that. Like to do the TV edit of our episodes and to have the edits be funny. I don't know. Yeah. There could be value there. As I recall, the TV edit of Snakes on a Plane had the line, we've got to get these monkey fighting snakes off these Monday to Friday plane. Uh <laughs> and I think that, that that's perfect. That's a knowing engagement with what is fun about the dubs. So I think that what we'd really want to do is like kind of on a case-by-case -case basis think what would be the funniest thing to dub here. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So instead of doing word swaps, we'd be doing phrase swaps. Right. I like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, something to consider. It sounds like a lot of work for no upside. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a lot of what we do around here, I guess. I'll do a lot of work one time to <laughs> to see what happens as a result. So I'm I might be interested enough to try that experiment. Well, Adam, do you want to see what happens as a result of trying to rescue Beverly Crusher from a nebula? Now, there's some swears in this episode, huh? Fucking a. <laughs> Let's get into it, Ben. It's Star Trek Picard season three. The final season, episode two, the second episode. <laughs> Disengage. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Self-discovery. The unknown. We start two weeks ago when 
Jack Crusher was a guy listening to some music that someone in the writer's room thinks is really great. There's no way that Jack Crusher actually likes this music. This is like, Beverly has two rules on the Mariposa. One, don't touch the thermostat. She's an older lady. She keeps it warm. And two, don't touch her radio channels. Yeah. Oh, so you think that this is like a, uh, this is my car, the radio is going to be on my settings kind of situation? That's why one of the nacelles is blinking constantly. <laughs> as they cruise through space that's why they're getting pulled over yeah. they're, they're getting pulled over by some security folks these are Fenris Rangers folks but he won't know what to make of your blinker signal that says you're about to turn right yeah they're there at Sonia Prime claiming to have medical support for some kind of outbreak down on the surface it's just Jack she, uh, Beverly is not there you don't think she's on the ship? I don't know. I, th- I mean, it, it was notable that she was absent from yeah. this sequence. But uh, maybe, yeah, maybe she's just, uh, you know, working the night shift. And so she's sleeping it off while he uh, pulls into to Sonya Prime. I don't know. Maybe she's in her quarters with the candle lit. Like, you know, if you're Jack Crusher and you smell candle <laughs> oh, on yeah. the Mariposa, that that's basically a sock on the door handle. Mom's taking some alone time. I love you, Beverly. <laughs> It's impossible to work with my mom. She's cranking it all the time. I always try telling her to nail light the candle, and she just ignores me. Yeah. Was your understanding, based on the way they pull up and announce themselves, that this is not a Federation ship somehow? Except I think we know that it is, right? The Mariposa has the uh, the L-cars of right. a Starfleet vessel. How could it not be? And it has the design of a Starfleet vessel, but they like when... He doesn't say anything about United Federation of Planets. He doesn't say anything about NCC. Maybe there's a secondary market for Starfleet ships. Oh, like and he bought it at the cop auction? Yeah, and this is <laughs> this is the Crown Vic of Starfleet here. It's, it's the Crown Vic that's clearly had a decal taken off of the white door that's on the black body. Right. But it still has the spotlight thing on the side. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't take that off. You just leave a hole in the door. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this Fenris Ranger who, boy, this guy needs a dermal regenerator. Afrab, that's what I think. Actually, except for 709, right? (laughs) She's cool. (laughs) She seems pretty good. He boards with a couple of other rangers to do this inspection. They find some medical supplies. They find some booze. And they find... A case full of guns. This turns into a bribery situation. And I think what I understood through all of the cops and robbers jargon is that uh, the Fenris Rangers are going to take 30% of the weapons. They're going to give the other weapons to a couple of warlords down on the planet so that the warlords can shoot each other up while the population is saved from Mm -hmm. this horrible disease. Yeah, I thought the interaction around the booze and the weapons was a little strange because Jack Crusher was the one opening those boxes. Actually, yeah. I think the guy with the half loaf on his face finds the booze. Right. And Jack Crusher's like, well, that ain't shit. Check out our arsenal <laughs> in, this, in this Pelican case. And it reminded me of my first year in college when I was trying to feel out how cool the RA would be <laughs> to the drinking on our floor. Like the RA is doing the room checks or whatever, and he he heard some partying. The RA did room checks at your college. Well, if we were loud, he'd like oh, give us a I knock see. and tell us to pipe it down. I gotcha. And to feel out how cool 
he was, I did not care to hide my drink at all. Mm -hmm. And this gave him the probable cause to come in and bust our party. Uh. Thus demonstrating his uncoolness. Yeah. And then I was made to dump out all of the beers that was in the mini fridge. And it was a huge mistake. But I wanted to feel it out. It was early on in the college year. Yeah. I wanted to know what I was dealing with. And Jack Crusher, in the same way, I think wants to just get this over with. He wants to show him the guns and see if this is a viable bribe. He's going to get there anyway, right? He's going to search those guns. The bribe works, but as the Fenris guy is getting off the ship, he uh, radios up to someone and says, uh, tell the marked woman we've found the guy. Yeah. So... That's the end of our little flashback. And now we're back in the present where- Let me tell you something, Ben. You better not let any marked woman know that you call her a marked woman. (laughs) (laughs) What if it's Lydia the Tattooed Lady? She was the most glorious creature. I feel like Lydia the Tattooed Lady would be cool with it. (laughs) You think? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I got to make sure she's okay with that name. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll we'll clear it with her ahead of time. All right. Yeah. Oh man, what if he'd called her the marked woman, and the other Fenris Ranger had been like, "She's actually right behind you." <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, that would have been so awkward. Anyways, it's a spooky thing. You think the bribe is going to be fine, but when he says this around the corner, you know it is not. And when we cut back to present day, we're reminded of how badly that went. Jack Crusher is telling Picard and Riker about the like shitty couple of months that he's had with all of the different bad guys of various backgrounds chasing him and his mom and hunting them. And good guys too. Yeah. And that goes to his point. Like the ship that they are nose to nose with has tentacles and everything. Whoever's piloting that ship has resources, he says. And... You know, when you were asking about whether or not this was a Starfleet ship, what comes to mind now is like if they were chased by Starfleet and all of these other alien species, don't all Starfleet ships have the codes to other Starfleet ships Hmm. with which to lower their shields or or turn off their engines or whatever? Yeah, but I forgot how the code goes. So, uh, yeah, we don't know. We don't know what's going on with that. Yeah. They're, they're talking about, like, what can we do to get help because, there's you know, we're this little ship, and that's a great big ship. Mm-hmm. And uh, Riker says, yeah, well, the Titan brought us here. They might still be close enough to help. And that's a, uh, a smash cut to the Titan, which is just still hanging out right there, yeah. right outside the nebula, and doesn't seem to be in a hurry to get to the thing that the captain was in a hurry to get to in the last episode. And on the Titan bridge, they continue to argue about what to do in this case. Seven is still giving orders right in front of Captain Shaw. And Captain Shaw is finally like, it's kind of my call here. Yeah, I guess I should go ahead and dismiss you for everything you've done in episode one up until now. He really strikes me as a bad leader. Like he tolerates some pretty open defiance. Like he had this like, I'm super uptight and I run my ship, you know, with a fine tooth comb. You're not going to find a speck of dust energy. And I was really surprised at how he's bristling at the way Seven is comporting herself on the bridge. But 
He doesn't like immediately call her into the ready room and like correct her or anything. It read to me like a captain who still wants Seven around to do some work. And as soon as that work begins to be disruptive, that's the moment that he sends her away. Like he doesn't want to do her work. Yeah. That would suck. <laughs> or like find someone else, that, you know, like hiring. Yeah. That's a lot of extra cycles you got to throw into your day. Yeah. Back on the Mariposa, they work to get Beverly's med pod to the shuttle. And that's the moment where they start taking fire from this enemy ship. And unfortunately, the fire is concentrated on the shuttle that they were going to use to head back (laughs) to the Titan. And uh, Talk about the all-time bad luck. RSVP Shuttlecraft Savick. (laughs) It barely got to get pregnant by a Vulcan before... uh, Yeah. It's demise. So sad. Like all Savics, it's there for the very beginning of its final mission and uh, <laughs> never seen again. This is goodbye. <laughs> yes, Adam. So we cut over to, what's this planet called? Machina or something? Oh, uh, Metallus. Metallus. Oh, man. <laughs> Machina's not, a, not that far <laughs> off, though, right? Yeah, fun college nickname for Terry Metallus. Machine from 8mm. Love your work. <laughs> so uh, Raffi is having a classic Raffi musicer bum out. Yeah. Watching the news of her failure and ascribing 100% of the guilt for this uh, to herself. She, you know, tries to re-engage with her mysterious handler and is like, you know, asking for a face-to-face, which again gets denied. And she's told that the investigation is over, that what the news story has about this like Romulan dissident being behind the terrorist attack is probably true. And Starfleet is shutting the investigation down. And man, I have to say like Starfleet ending the investigation feels like it has got to be connected to the trust no one issue. Sure feels that way. Do you think when you're an actor that is as good at playing sad or haunted the way Michelle Hurd is, do you think it you might get typecast as that? Because she's so good at this version of Raffi, the right on the edge, about to cry right. all the time, like totally haunted by her bad decision. Raffi that is a clay pot that's being held yeah. together in somebody's hand. That's what I'm saying. Like, I wonder if some actors are are so good at this, it makes it hard to think of them any other way. Yeah. I think that that actually could be my way into Hollywood, just playing Shattered. I feel like, <laughs> I, feel like I could do this. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to. Like, that's the other thing is like... It seems exhausting, right? A lot of actors really like have to feel the feelings that they're portraying to portray them. And Oh, Ben, I think I could do that then. I don't feel much. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. I'm a very sensitive person. Yeah. Anyways, there's also this uh, Ferengi gangster character named Sneed that's being talked about. And Mm -hmm. Sneed apparently like brokered the deal for the quantum tunneling technology that was used for bad and not for good. And so she thinks Sneed is lying. And uh, she's basically told in no uncertain terms, like, drop it. The investigation is over. I mean, it'd be nice if they were, like, reassigning her also. Like, hey, like, if you can make it to, you know, Vulcan, we've got something new for you. 
that is a huge mistake on Starfleet Intelligence's part. Like, especially for <laughs> someone of Raffi's specific temperament. Like, she sees secrets everywhere. I guess I'm on my own. Yeah. I'm going to find out from Sneed who really did this. And she is not one to believe the story out on the street about what exactly went down. Lorac Toluco can't be that guy. That guy's an idiot. He's not big enough. Yeah. To have hit the button to her. He's not a mastermind type. Yeah. He's a trigger man. Yeah, and so she decides to go rogue, and uh, her next step is going to be Sneed's hideout in order to figure out what happened. Yeah, but back on the Titan, not much is happening. Like, this made me sort of believe that Shaw was actually catching up on Captain's logs at the beginning of the first episode, because I was like, man, he's just like sitting around like he does not like to go do anything very much. Sir, they could die if we don't help. So it will be noted in my report. He thinks that Seven helped Picard and Riker steal the shuttle. And she is like, that is a captain and an admiral. Do you really think they need a commander's help to take a shuttle that they want? Yeah. And uh, speaking of them being a captain and an admiral, we're detecting weapons fire in there in the nebula. So uh, they might be in danger and uh, you might want to do something about that. She makes a great case here in an unusual way, because while Shaw does not want to be involved in the situation whatsoever, that they are there in this moment means it's kind of a fork in the road for him. Like, no matter what, Shaw's going to be remembered for either leaving or helping to save these two, and it's up to him to choose which path he takes. She says, let's make sure... History never forgets the name, Captain Liam Shaw. (laughs) I don't know, Captain, are you a Canton or a (laughs) Cantatin? That really doesn't work, does it? Because Can and Canton sound almost identical. (laughs) Yeah, it took me like five seconds to even figure out what you're doing. (laughs) I thought that would sound witty, but it sounds terrible. (laughs) So playing to his ego is the tack she's taking, and uh, we'll find out if it works. Because down in the nebula, Picard is putting on transport inhibitors all around the ship. They're like little like hockey pucks with lights on them that he's sticking to everything. And uh, he gets that on just in time because the Shrike tries to beam Jack Crusher out of his ship and they're foiled. A non-consensual transport has got to hurt a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, Jack Crusher kind of shakes this off like it's nothing, but that's got to sting. You know what it looks a lot like is the uh, pain booths that they put everybody in in the mirror universe, you know? I thought the same thing, Ben. And, like, you remember the last Starfleet captain that was uh, super-duper prickly that we met in New Star Trek? Mm. How he kind of ended up being a mirror universe captain? (laughs) I thought about him a lot this episode. Wow. Dang. I don't believe that to be what's going on here, but like... No, but Shaw's energy is not totally dissimilar from Lorca's energy. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So there's like a couple of guys beam on and Riker throws a grenade at them and and that's okay. But then this tractor beam grabs onto them. (laughs) I love how Riker's like, well, they'll they'll never come back after that. 
(laughs) (laughs) The confidence of Will Riker throwing one grenade. I want to walk into any room feeling like that. As long as the Shrike don't listen to the greatest generation and they don't think of the idea of beaming like so many guys into this specific room that none of us can move, we're going to be fine. Yeah, they should have done that. That would have worked. Yeah. A gravimetric lock looks a lot like a tractor beam. Yeah. Right? Did you think it was smoky because it's like interacting with particles in the nebula? It looked Borgish, didn't it? It did. Yeah, that green looks either Romulan or Borgy. Yeah. When that green color comes into play. I mean, who knows? Maybe the Shrike is uh, put together with parts from different star empires like that. Seems like that could be the case. They don't seem long for this world as uh, the Mariposa is pulled toward the Shrike, but they are because uh, actually, no, they still aren't because the ship isn't long for this episode. But the Titan clips the beam. Yeah. I thought this was so great. Like it uses its saucer as like a saucer cutter. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that uh, Think Geek pizza cutter in the shape of the Starship Enterprise. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to make one out of the Titan, right? It it wouldn't roll right. No. Yeah, it's a little long, isn't it? Kind of a long boy. Well, the saucer's got cutouts where the impulse engines are, so if you were to roll it, it would just be like, blah, blomp. Oh, yeah. Blah, blomp. That part wouldn't get cut, right? Yeah, I don't know. You'd probably have to go back and forth a bunch of times. Yeah. It would be wildly inefficient. (laughs) Uh, They got to shoot the uh, transport inhibitors before the Titan can rescue them, which was a, like, I feel like this was fun television because when I watched this episode the first time, I was like, Picard's so old, he's forgetting to shoot, to like deactivate the transport inhibitors. It's not going to work. And then they're like, we can't get a lock. And then he shoots the transport inhibitor. (laughs) What do you think this scene is supposed to do? Because when Picard did this, I was like, Oh, well, Picard's like, for an old man, he's still a real crack shot. He's a crack shot, but he forgot that they were on in the first place. Is this the Gollum shooting or is this Picard shooting? Ooh, that is a metaphysical question I don't feel equipped to answer. I know. I'm not either. I don't know what that's about. They materialize on the transporter pad and it's just the three of them and no med pod. And yeah. We cut away for a long time, and I'm like, did they just leave Beverly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they fix it in dialogue later on the bridge. They they beamed her med pod directly to their six bay yeah. on the Titan. Back on Metallica, Raffi meets up with her ex, Jay, the painter, the father of her son, who... Still has a relationship with their son, unlike Raffi. He references the hospital visit drop-in that she did in an earlier season. Maybe one of the most awkward scenes in all of New Star Trek was that one. Yeah. Pretty brutal. Really rough. Jay kind of presents himself as the, I was the reasonable one. Your relationship with our son is destroyed because you were so unreasonable. And I'm like, a good person and you're a bad person with lots of failings because you know you are an addict and bad and then we start like getting into the scene and she reveals that she has a secondary reason for visiting with him it's not just that she wants to hear about how things are going with her son and her granddaughter she also wants to get in touch with Sneed 
who hangs out at Jay's bar in the back room. <laughs> and Jay is like, no, like he's a monster. Like you don't want to mess with somebody like that. You do realize that broker is just a polite word for gangster. And it's like, dude, he hangs out at your bar. You're the one that's messing with someone like that. He always drinks top shelf liquor. <laughs> I can barely keep it in stock. He's so fucking cruel and manipulative. Like, he makes her pick between her career in Starfleet intelligence and, like, her relationship with her son and her granddaughter just because he can. Yeah. She's like, I'm trying to save a bunch of lives here, and I'm, like, actually on the straight and narrow doing, like, good work for Starfleet. And he's like, well, you're going to have to pick that or me telling your son that you're okay now and he should try and reach back out to you. Did you get the suggestion that they were both at one point addicts and... Yeah, and he kind of cleaned his life up because they had a kid. Yeah, there's, like, Jay is kind of cruel about how he's held his sobriety over her. Like, I made it. Why can't you? All addicts are the same. Like, it's just a choice to get clean. You just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, it's super ugly. Yeah. And... Not to cut too far ahead, I was looking for that guy's head to hit the floor later on once head started rolling (laughs) in his bar, you know? No kidding, man. Raffi is not my favorite character, but fuck Jay. Like, (laughs) fuck him forever. Do you think that is the goal of a scene like this? I don't see how it could be any other way that this show wants us to hate Jay. Here's the thing. I don't feel like it is the goal of the scene because... Like, she is always on her back heel. She never stands up to him. And this, I don't know, maybe it's like setting it up for later in the season or something. But, ugh, ugh. Yeah. Hated Jay. Hated Jay big time. (laughs) Yeah. And so when presented with this this choice, Raffi chooses work. Yeah. She woke up and chose work. And access to Sneed is granted, I guess. But before that, we're back on the Titan, where... uh, Seven and Shaw are talking about their next steps when Picard Riker and Jack Crusher arrive on the bridge. This is the moment where they get uh, the captain of the Shrike on screen, and we finally meet Captain Vatic for the first time. She knows a lot about Shaw's psychological profile. She knows that Picard is a golem. No one... (laughs) I laughed because, like, why does no one say anything about that? Like... (laughs) Hey, that's personal. (laughs) Don't tell people that. (laughs) It's Amanda Plummer. You may remember her from Pulp Fiction. She was Honey Bunny. She's in a lot of things. She's great. Any of you fucking pricks move, and I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. She's so scary. The way she's scary is great because she's got that kind of Like, she's trying to tamp down her hysterical, almost about to either cry or laugh energy that just presents as so scary in this moment. Like, she's got her finger on the button and you just have no idea what she's going to do. It's not just that she has her finger on the button, but she seems to be so many steps ahead of everyone in this moment. Like, she... You know, she knows about the golem thing. It's not clear if she knows about the marked woman thing. That might be something she wants to uh, to find out about. That may be the, something that she covers up with a long sleeve or something. 
Yeah, but like she's brimming with such scary confidence that she's like, yeah, like uh, I'm going to go ahead and drop my shield. You guys can just go ahead and scan my ship. See what you think. And like lights a cigarette while they read off the list of armaments that the Shrike is bearing. That's confidence to just lower your shields and open the kimono and and show it off. Yeah, pretty pretty scary. Probably pretty warm next to the nebula, you know, probably... All the missiles are looking pretty big. Mm, mm, yeah. The Shrike does look like it's recently been spray tanned, so yeah. <laughs> everything really pops, you know? The Shrike probably did a couple of sheps before coming out of the <laughs> nebula, you know, getting the blood flow to the muscles going. Yeah, yeah. Boy, she really put some English on the word hole. Hole in your proverbial chest. She put some English on everything. The way she pronounces Picard's full name is like really luxuriating in those guttural throat sounds. Admiral Jean Picard. It's like wiping your ass with silk. (laughs) She's great. I almost like her too much. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of Team Shrike at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, whatever takes Captain Shaw off the board, right? Right, yeah, yeah. If Vanek kills Jay and kills Shaw, I think Vanek is the hero. Yeah. (laughs) Season three, Ben's favorite season of Star Trek Picard, if that were to happen. (laughs) So they got one hour to to send Jack Crusher over, and and Vanek wants to demonstrate her awesome power, not just in the missile department but in the power she wields as she throws the Mariposa at the Titan like a trash can lid. That thing flies through space. Shaw really hesitates to do the shields up evasive maneuvers command. Yeah, that's it too. Which, I mean, I, I don't know if that's in the edit or if it's in the script or it's a choice that, you know, the actor playing Shaw made, but uh, you could see how pissed off Ensign LaForge's, because she's like, God damn it! <laughs> I'm just in the middle of trying to live down the name Crash LaForge, and this guy crashes a fucking ship into us while we're still! <laughs> we weren't even fucking moving, and I have a third crash on my fucking record! <laughs> God damn it! She's like, that one's not on me, right? We we were all here. We can all agree. That's not on LaForge. When we put that in with the insurance, they're not going to hold me responsible, right? Right. They all kind of look at Jack Crusher like, maybe giving him over isn't a bad idea. We just met this guy. <laughs> like, he's the friend that you don't know who goes out to the bar and is like super aggro and aggressive yeah. that you kind of want to leave before you go to the second location. Mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we we don't want to bring that guy with us. <laughs> Captain Shaw says out loud what you don't want to hear if you work on the bridge. What do we know about this, Vatic? Nothing in the Starfleet database. Starfleet doesn't know shit, but uh, Seven has heard Ranger rumors about <laughs> Vatic, and that just, you know, lowers her in Shaw's estimation. Like, he doesn't want to hear what the pirates think. He wants, like, verified intelligence reports from professional intelligence people like Rafi Musiker, you know? Yeah, it's really just ghost stories that the Rangers have on this captain and this ship. It's nothing really actionable. Yeah. What is actionable is what's on the pad that she hands him with information about Jack Crusher, who is down in an observation room with Picard and Riker. And Picard is, you know, kind of plying him with questions, trying to figure out 
like, hey, man, like, what's your deal? Who are you? Like, what do we need to know about you and why you're in this amount of trouble? And uh, that's when Shaw and a bunch of security people come in and take Jack into custody. Turns out Jack has a pretty long rap sheet. What's happening here? The brig. That's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, he's got a long rap sheet, but like every alias name has a rap (laughs) sheet too, right? Yeah, yeah. Just a bunch of different JC names. Yeah, that's fun. You know, probably based on his respect for the big man upstairs. We get a fun, like, reading of the file scene straight out of uh, Rambo 2, which is great. Yeah. I like when Shaw, like, reads all the names with increasing credulity, and then he gets to the final JC name, Jesus Christ. (laughs) That one took a lot of imagination. My particular favorite. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Hey, don't deserve nothing in Latin. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags 
from other websites can damage your mood. But not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trick. With him being perp walked out of there, Seven gets shit canned for <laughs> insubordination. Yeah. Kind of surprised it took Shaw this long. <laughs> like, she already took the ship off course, like, in direct contravention of his orders and wishes. Do you think the show wants us to think Captain Shaw is dumb or just, like, clinging to power? Because it seems like, on paper, his decisions aren't bad. He's just hyper, hyper defensive. Right. Because this is a scene that that shot Shaw in profile and he looks a little disheveled yeah. on the bridge like as he's dealing with things. And I was like, he kind of looks a little like Edward Larkin. Yeah. But he's not anything like Edward. Like he's like Larkin with more power and resentment. And more like type A. Like the, yeah. the thing about him is that he's like a control freak and he's like a million percent sure of himself. Right. And like sure that he does everything right and that people that don't do things the way he does are therefore doing them wrong. Yeah. So, like, hence his attitude with Riker and Picard. He thinks that they're, like, hot-dogging psychos that should never have been given a command because they don't follow the rules and stuff. And, right. you know, like, <laughs> Picard was, like, such a staid captain, you know, in comparison to Kirk, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, yeah. why did Shaw even join Starfleet if 
people like Picard and Kirk get hired by Starfleet. Yeah. So there's like a legitimacy to the claim on Jack Crusher here based on his file, right? Right. He's like, okay, well, this guy's clearly a crook. Like, we're not going to like give him away right this second, but that's sort of where, where I'm headed. And yeah, I also just didn't like the way he like, part of the reason he relieves Seven of Command is he says like, you persuaded me to go into the nebula and save them. Mm-hmm. Like, you made the decision, man. Yeah, if if the buck really does stop with him, then why is he blaming her Yeah, for that? Ugh. Go hang out with Jay, you piece of shit. Shaw is really insulted by Seven's interpretation of the needs of the many versus the needs of the few philosophy, right? Yeah. Like, he totally <laughs> rides for the needs of the many. I am a little worried that Shaw is being set up to be a good guy, ultimately. Yeah. I don't want him to be. I want to hate him. Yeah. But, like, they can't convince Shaw to do anything to save Jack Crusher's life. But they do have the time that Vatic has given them to consider this. And with that time, Shaw is like, cool, if you want to go visit this guy in the brig, Picard, like, be my guest. We've got some time left for you to do that. And so he does. And, and Riker and Picard head down there. And there's a great scene in the turbo lift where Riker's like, now that we're alone again... He's got your accent. <laughs> Do the math, Jean-Luc. Like, haven't you heard him talk? He talks like you. <laughs> Just like a Frenchman. <laughs> That's how paternity works. Right. He's yeah. born with your accent. <laughs> and Picard is uh, not engaging with this. It's a lot of, uh, you know, like, you don't see what I see? Because I see it. Yeah. That's just setting something up for later. I wish Picard pushed back even a little bit at the idea that of the two of them, Picard would be the one with a surprise kid out in the universe. Yeah. Will, we've run into literally dozens of your progeny out in the universe. I'm surprised there aren't a few holodeck, half holodeck, (laughs) half humans walking around with the last name Riker. You've reproduced so many times, there's a perfect copy of you yourself walking around. (laughs) Who are you? Yeah. Who are you? Man, where's Thomas Riker in all this? Yeah. Is he just serving time for his work with the Mayquees? Mayquees? Hard to say. I I just hope he's well and happy. Yeah. Because it seems like Will Riker is deeply unhappy, for reasons that aren't explained this episode, at least. Yeah. Also, is it explained why he leaves? Like, Picard is the only one that goes into the brig? Yeah, why doesn't Riker go into the brig? Maybe Riker is the ultimate wingman and is like, uh, <laughs> I better leave you two alone. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, freshen my beverage up and uh, yeah. why don't you two get to know each other a little bit better? Yeah. So Picard's in the brig with Jack and uh, reads over the file. And Jack has got answers that explain away all of the charges. Yeah. And they argue and argue and argue all the way up to a who is your father question. (laughs) And he won't answer that question. He never had a father. Yeah. But he does sort of come across more like a, like Robin Hood who sleeps with a lot of babes and less of a thug that is just out for himself. Yeah. He's, he keeps scrolling through his aliases and this, who is Jack Locutus? 
<laughs> now that's just cruel. <laughs> Who is this John flute player? Yeah, I mean, Picard leaves kind of feeling like a failure for this interrogation, right? Like, this is like one of the last hopes. Like, can he get in any intel out of Jack Crusher? Jack Crusher seems more content to just give himself up to keep everyone safe than to put up with this old man's guff. Indeed. Not going to be accepting any of the guff. And instead, we cut down to uh, Machinia 3, where Raffi gets her meeting with Sneed. I feel like when the when the lights go down on this planet, like the the snow comes out and mm-hmm. the very skimpily dressed party animals come out, you know, Raffi is like showing up at Jay's bar and getting a little guff from the doorman, but uh, you know, works her way in. There's Sneed and he opens up a Sluggo Cola for her. The is cola in the galaxy. And starts doing one of my favorite like villain hanging out in a bar things, was just like explaining his whole deal. I love this. <laughs> what do you think of how Sneed looks? I think it's neat to see a Ferengi in new Star Trek. We saw one in in like the 29th century on Disco. And yeah. that, that one looked really craggy in a way that Sneed kind of looks aerodynamic, you know? Yes. Sneed looks like uh, he really moves through a fluid volume with yeah. the greatest of ease. I thought this performance was really fun. He's got a five o'clock shadow too. Did you like that? I did. I, yeah. I liked Sneed a lot. Sneed yeah. was like a good villain. Yeah. And, you know, really chews the scenery, like does a lot of like licking his pointy Ferengi teeth. And like he suspects that she's with Starfleet, but she's got this pile of gems that says otherwise. And she's like trying to make the case that she's there to like figure out, you know, who put Toluco's name on the on the portal tech by. So mm-hmm. because she works for Toluco and she, you know, wants to make sure that he isn't being uh, accused of a bad thing that he didn't actually do. Sneed is like kind of playing the game with her. You know, it seems like he's accepting that maybe she's not a part of Starfleet, but he wants her to uh, do a drug to prove that she's not a cop. He gives her one of those eye spray drugs. She wins the game of Suck Disc, <laughs> holds it together long enough for him to be impressed with her tolerance for drugs, I guess. Yeah. I mean, he can tell that she's fighting it off in a way that still doesn't make her credible to him. So, like, there's a sadness when it's revealed that she did the eye cocaine for nothing. Because yeah. once Sneed busts out the thing he's been using as a footrest. <laughs> oh, what's in the box? And reveals it to be Toluco's head. Shit goes down. Yeah. She realizes she's been had the entire time. She, you know, her idea of going in there representing herself as an associate of Toluco's, he saw through from the beginning. You know, he's in the process of kicking her out when she stabs him in the hand. And then like simultaneously, one of the three armed bad guys behind her Gets a bat left through the gut from behind. At this point, were you looking around for Jay? <laughs> Jay's not working tonight, huh? Yeah, Jay's uh, in the studio. You know, he's got he's he's uh, working on a new series. He's got a gallery show coming up in Chicago in a few months. God, lucky day off for him. It's Worf to the rescue. Yeah. How exciting is it to see Worf take someone's head clean off? Finally, it is great to see that. 
I'm a little sad that it was Sneed and not Jay because Sneed seemed like a fun villain and Jay just is like a villain that makes me angry. I'm with you. I think this episode did a great job coloring in the Sneed character. We knew enough about him to like him and to feel sad when he's dead. Yeah. In all the ways that should feel like a success when you're creating a scene like this. If you're cleaning up this bar later, (laughs) you're like, fuck, Jay is going to be so pissed. This guy used to buy like the top shelf stuff. It's got to be crazy to like use a dustpan for a severed head and then like come around the couch and be like, oh, there's another severed head. (laughs) Only one is going to fit in this dustpan. Oh, man. I love the Metallus 3 CSI show where the cops show up on the scene and they're like, we've got one body with no head on it, but we've got two heads. (laughs) Explain that. I could really live in this scene for much, much longer. You're right. It's big fun. So Worf has revealed himself to have been her handler the entire time. It's just like we predicted, Adam. He has aged. He kind of looks like a uh, kadaddy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The white hair on him kind of reminds me of the uh, Kung Fu master in yeah. Kill Bill. You know? This is a good makeup instinct for this character. I like it. I really agree. Uh, I can't wait for more, but uh, this is uh, Worf's curtain call for this episode, and we go back to the Titan. Shaw is talking to the to Picard and Riker about how, like, yeah, you've only got like 15 more minutes before we got to send that guy over. Like, again, Shaw just in no fucking hurry to do anything for anyone. Yeah. Even to do his own orders, which would have been just a warp back to where he was supposed to go at the beginning of the episode. Like, so difficult was the conversation earlier with Vatic that even though he has made the decision to agree to the terms, he doesn't want to have another conversation so soon. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's really recharging the batteries. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jack has like something on his wristwatch that can disable the door on a Starfleet holding cell, which he does and like headbutts the security guard and uh, escapes. When Vatic calls back to do some more taunting of Picard and Shaw and everybody, Jack is like amid his escape. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Picard's been trying to persuade Shaw to like, hey man, like maybe just like don't be such a little punk ass when she talks to you, like stand up to her and like kind of show the colors a little bit and like, Maybe, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. You know, sometimes a little drama with uh, a crossed leg sitting in the captain's chair and then a stand-up and a sturdy tug at the front of your uniform. Pepper in a a Shakespeare quote here and there. It really works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Rhetorically, Shah is just no match for Vatic. No, Vatic uh, rhetorically curb stomps him and (laughs) announces her intention to start fucking their ship up bit by bit until they're so desperate that they give her jack whether they want to or not. So descriptive with the pecking and so forth. Yeah. The description of the Shrike and what the Shrike bird does. Yeah. She goes so far as to uh, describe the cloaca. Mm. She's like, it pecks your ship until there's nothing left and then it shits out at the one hole that 
all avians have yeah for both waste and doing it and eggs and stuff this this is where her speechifying gets a little weird like it's less scary and just more bizarre yeah she's like it's also a bad guy in the Hyperion novels. Did you ever read Dan Simmons? <laughs> it's like a very pokey bad guy. You really responded to that reference. Yeah, I liked it when she talked about the Hyperion <laughs> novels. <laughs> they find out that Jack has escaped, and like Seven is just like marching around the ship with security guys, so it doesn't seem like Shaw let everyone else know that she's relieved of duty. It's a good look for Seven not to just take her being grounded. Yeah. She's still at work. It is a good look, but also I thought it would have been pretty funny if she'd just been like sitting in her quarters with the door open, like, you know, reading a book and looked up and saw Jack Crusher run by in the hallway and then just like turned back to her book. Shaw really doesn't deserve her, right? Like, yeah, she's too good for him. And when she tells him that she's caught Jack Crusher and has him at gunpoint in the transporter room, Shaw's like, okay, you've got your job back. Like, what? <laughs> What's your deal, Shaw? That's yeah, really amazing. If this season doesn't end with Seven as captain of the Titan, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. Yeah, they're, they're talking like, okay, like, obviously, Jack went to the transporter room, which only means, like, there's only one place he could be trying to beam, and it's the bad guy's ship. Yeah. Which means he's doing everything he can to save us from what the Shrike is about to do to the ship that his mother is on. Right. Why are you attempting to beam to the ship's cloaca? <laughs> That's where they keep the strange missile they couldn't identify. <laughs> it's sort of a whitish mixture of urine and shit. <laughs> Damn it, we just washed the Titan. <laughs> this always happens. <laughs> Commander Hanson, that is the last time you part the Titan under a tree. <laughs> The other day I put some new house numbers on my house. Oh, that's nice. And a bird shit on the house numbers. Are your numbers out from undercover? No, they're they're on a column that's under an eave. Uh-huh. Like we have a, a little a little like roofed front porch. Uh-huh. And the the eave comes down. So the poop must have been traveling it must have come in from the side and hit the damn house numbers. You shit on my house. Man. So a, a bird strafed it with its shit. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Just really fun to uh, every, I just feel like everything I do as a homeowner, <laughs> like the world just laughs in my face. <laughs> it's brutal. You've had a bad run, man. You don't deserve your numbers getting shit on. I got my numbers shit on? Really? Yeah. You shit on my house! Ah, uh, that sucks. How do you clean your house? Do you just, like, hit it with a hose? That seems like a waste of water. This is a great question. I don't know. My house is so dirty. Back when I lived in Seattle, you would sort of need to power wash the cladding on your home because it would- Because of moss. Yeah, it would grow hairy moss on it. Yeah. But uh, down here, I don't, I don't know if that's necessary. Yeah. And given what both of our homes did under the pressure of a couple of days of rain, I wouldn't want a pressure washer anywhere near this thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Anyways, they're, they're, they're talking about like what Beverly Crusher would want in mm -hmm. this context. Picard is kind of like leaning on like the fact that Beverly Crusher is in the six bay and would not want Shaw to let her son turn himself in like this to try and convince Shaw to 
stand up to the Shrike. And Shaw's like, well, we don't actually know. Maybe their relationship's super fucked up. She's unconscious. We could never find out. Yeah. And this is when, you know, Riker has been kind of in the background running around to Six Bay, reviving her. And Riker brings Beverly on board the bridge. She is in really rough shape, but she does some really amazing nonverbal acting with Picard. Like Gates McFadden and Peace do like exchange a wordless moment with each other that you can like write the dialogue in your head. It's incredible. It's a music cue we've never heard before. It's the many stringed instruments of confirmed paternity. <laughs> it's unmistakable. Yeah, I think that uh, in the industry, that's just called a Mori sting. Right. You are the father. So Picard, like, somehow reasserts his admiralty, like, unilaterally unretires himself and starts belaying orders and, like, issuing commands to lock down the shuttle bay and make sure Jack doesn't make it off the ship. This is great. We're not going to let Jack jake a shuttle today. You're going to have to slick back your hair another day, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) But not now, and not for the foreseeable future. Put the hair gel down. And let's be honest, genetically speaking, you won't be able to stick it back for very long anyways. You might as well enjoy a variety of hairstyles (laughs) while you have the chance. So they're like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And Picard explains it to Shaw that this is his son. The boy stays here. Beverly's son? Jack Crusher. My son. This is the moment where I thought that the show may be writing Shaw toward some kind of redemption arc. Uh-huh. Because he's like, all right, yeah, like, let's save the kid. God damn it. Yep. This is great. These final moments. Picard FaceTimes Vatic. And his FU to her is, <laughs> is hitting the gas on the Titan while simultaneously shooting torpedoes at it. And the Titan makes for the nebular. Vatic loves this. She thinks this is so fun. Yeah. We literally get a like fade to black villain cackle at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Great ending. Really good ending. When the Shrike enters the nebular too. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did like this episode. I like this episode a lot. I, uh, I'm very curious to see where this season goes. We've seen some trailers for this season that include some pretty weird stuff like Moriarty. Right. And it's very interesting to try to imagine how any of that factors in. Like, Is that the Bajoran tablet of this season? <laughs> it just doesn't come, come into the picture. How great would that be? <laughs> I would be absolutely for that if if they shot the Moriarty scenes just for the trailer right. to throw us off the scent. Here's my commitment to the Friends of DeSoto. If Moriarty doesn't show up in this season of Picard, in Podshop.biz, we'll get Felipe Zobriero to do a I'm a recurring character Moriarty t-shirt as a companion piece to our I'm a recurring character perfect Pajoran tablet so eight people will have the chance to complete their set (laughs) exactly that'll be awesome yeah yeah maybe we could do one of those uh, you know like 
Like if someone is a fan of a certain sports player, they'll get the jersey of their multiple teams. Oh, yeah. And it's cut in half. <laughs> Maybe it's that kind of shirt. Ah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> did you like this episode, Adam? I really did. But it also made me think about how powerful the Amanda Plummer character is and how big she plays Yeah, on a show like this, which has come out and basically stated to the world that like this is the TNG reunion. This is our love letter to these characters we love. Like, I wonder how much you have to consider who your bad guy is so that they don't blow them off the screen. And I'm not saying that, that that's happened here, but like Vatic is a great big bad guy. And I was totally wrapped with her, like in all of her scenes, like, don't go away from Picard and Riker too long, you know? Yeah, yeah. She's also doing a very weird kind of acting, which is she is in a room full of, you know, characters that don't speak English. And like, all she does is sit in a chair and get on FaceTime and like twirl her, her mustache. She smokes real cigarettes with her friends. She does smoke real cigarettes with her friends. It does seem like she finds it fun to do bad things. Yeah. But yeah, like I'm amazed at what a vivid character that is already given yeah. the couple of glimpses and the very limited context in which we've seen it. I really wonder what the big beef is with her. Like, let's make a prediction now. Do you think it's personal at this point? Because of her foreknowledge of Captain Shaw and Picard and their identities, like mm. she seems to have done her research. Yeah. Or does she just want to watch the Federation burn, like generally? I mean, I don't really want to make a prediction until I see the base of her neck. Okay. All right. <laughs> God. So you're saying there's still a chance in Nubbin? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I'm at on it. I love it. I love it. Do you want to see if there's anything in the priority one inbox, Adam? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm headed that way. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Our first message here is of a promotional nature and goes like this. Thanks for all the work that makes the Uxbridge Shimoda family of podcasts that bring us joy. My daughter also works hard and brings me joy, and it's her birthday. One of her passions is MusicWorks Asheville, North Carolina. MusicWorks provides an intensive artistic and social program to children in underserved populations using music education as a transformative and empowering tool to teach life skills. Great people doing important work. Please consider supporting them. And happy birthday, girl! So uh, that comes from Mike Durst. And to support teaching life skills through music, please visit MusicWorks Asheville at musicworksasheville.org. Hey, this is great. I mean, music as a project is a way that I know kids like me made friends back when it was difficult to make them, you know? Yeah. And uh, as a way to spend the time, as a way to make friends, as a way to learn a skill, programs like this really mean a lot. There's a version of this up in Seattle that I was familiar with too, and uh, I just think they're really great. It sounds awesome. I uh, was lucky enough to go to like an arts and music summer camp when I was a little kid, and uh, and look at how you turned out. Yeah, and I'm I mean I'm pretty screwed up, but like most of the kids that came out of that thing did great. So yeah. 
musicworksashville.org is a great thing to make a little donation to if you've got a little coin to spare for a great cause. Yeah, you want to talk about a type of place that probably got hit pretty hard during the pandemic and the closures, like after-school programs, you know, in places that aren't in schools, could probably use your support more than ever. Ben, our second Priority One message is from Jessalyn in San Leandro. It is to Ben and Adam. That message goes like this. Shalom alakim. <laughs> Shalom alaikum. <laughs> I got it the second time. Yeah. In music grad school last year, I got to write 30 pages on what techniques different composers used for the movies to depict Spock's sense that he doesn't belong. I called it the search for Spock's themes. (laughs) Awesome. These two pods got me through grad school and are still the ones I look forward to the most every week. Can't wait to see you in SF. Hey, Jessalyn, I hope you made it to the show in SF. I do too. We had a great time at Sketchfest this year. We really did. I Man, one of the most heartbreaking messages I saw on the Greatest Trek Instagram or something. Somebody was like, I have been holding on to this ticket for three years and I fucking got sick (laughs) this week and I can't come. And I was like, God fucking damn it. It's brutal. I mean, thanks for not coming. Yeah. But also I'm sad that you couldn't for that reason. Yeah. I'm not saying that's Jessalyn. I think Jessalyn probably made it and I want to read that paper. Yeah. Jessalyn, can you like edit it down to like five pages though and like send us a copy? <laughs> I don't think I could make it through 30. I don't, I'm not smart enough. 30 pages. Academic papers are hard to read. Yeah. Hard to write, hard to read. Easier it is to write a priority one message. Uh, you're just confined by the number of characters. Yeah. But you still have plenty of room to say what you need to say over at maximumfund.org slash jumbotron. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, with Vatic slash the Amanda Plummer character. You know Amanda Plummer is Christopher Plummer's daughter? Damn, I was wondering that when you said her name. That's cool as hell. Man, that really is. She's another Nepo baby, Ben. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you hate to see that. Just, yeah, cry foul and let slip the Nepo babies of war. Said the Star Trek industrial complex. But that just means she's got to work harder to distinguish herself. And she really has through a uh, a great career. And what a performance in this episode. I'm, I'm really excited to experience more of her character. Yeah. And uh, I think she just brings a lot to the Star Trek universe. And I'm saying that as someone who has not seen episodes after this. I don't know if you have, but... Uh, I haven't. Good start. What about you, Ben? I think I'm going to give it to uh, Sneed. We barely knew Sneed. Yeah. But Sneed is a funny character to me. Uh, he collects like old earth shit, but also heads. He like yeah. had that head like sitting in a box just in case he needed to dramatically reveal it to someone. Yeah. Sneed rules. Jade rules. Uh, we stand Sneed. Yeah. He's kind of the Garrett Wong of new Star Trek <laughs> in his collection. Yeah. Was that Cisco's baseball? Yeah. I mean, was it trying to say that it was? It wasn't trying to say that it wasn't. Maybe it was a fuck Bokai baseball. Oh, shit. Did he have a Bajoran tablet in there somewhere? Oh, God. Or no, that's not an Earth thing. 
He's into Earth things. No. A lot of connections there on Sneed's captain's trinkets wall. Yeah. Man, I wish Sneed hadn't died. Maybe Sneed has like a twin brother or something. That'd be great. A lot of big families on Ferenginar. Right. Yeah. Big families with naked mamas holding them all together. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I think we just have uh, one little segment left here at the end of the episode, Adam, and that is our Warning Boys segment. That's right. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning Boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. This is a segment where we uh, consult a Slack channel at the Uxbridge Shimoda Company Slack where Wendy and Bill and I uh, paste in messages from various people on various social media platforms and like in our Apple podcast reviews and whatnot that, uh, you know, could uh, serve as an invitation to somebody who might be curious about checking out our show or a warning to people who would not like our show. Yeah. So this one here is from uh, at the Mahail on Twitter who said at greatest Trek for some reason, Benjamin R. saying, I'm a fascist during the DS9 run has been stuck in my head since I first heard it. I laughed so hard that I turned it into a text notification. I don't remember saying that. I don't like that choice of uh, text notifications. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, if it's coming from your like MAGA friend or whatever. Maybe this person doesn't get a lot of text. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I want to hear it. I want to hear that audio clip. Yeah. All right. It sounds funny. Yeah, maybe follow up and, uh, and include it in a reply. Yeah. If you'd like to get on the segment, all you got to do is uh, use at Greatest Trek on one of your social medias or leave us a nice review in Apple Podcasts, and maybe you'll hear something you said coming out of our mouth. Sounds great. <laughs> all right. That is the end of the episode, and we're throw the keys over to Wendy, our producer, to give you some credits now. Thanks, Wendy. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We'll be back in your feed next Friday with a review of Season 3, Episode 3 of Star Trek Picard. And every episode, we want to say thank you to the members who are supporting the ongoing production of both Greatest Gen and Greatest Trek. Members really do make the shows possible, and in return, they get monthly bonus content from Uxbridge Shimoda, as well as the entire network of Max Fun shows. Thanks to Adam Ragusea for creating the original music that we use on this show. You can find his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Dittmer for the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the social media pages on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Podshop.biz is the place to go for merch and you can connect with a lot of other friends of DeSoto on Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.